Welcome to the reading of Dr. Richard Ganz's book, Psychobabble, The Failure of Modern Psychology and the Biblical Alternative, copyright 1993 by Richard Ganz. This book is read and distributed with the author's permission. This MP3 audio file is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books, which offers a large selection of free and discounted classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed resources on the web at swrb.com. We continue our reading on page 51. Chapter 4. Man as God Sees Him Sometime before my conversion, I remember describing my concerns about the effectiveness of psychotherapy to a colleague. Two responses of his stand out in my memory. First, he said that I shouldn't trouble myself with such complex matters. What did it matter, anyway? Half of the patients improved and half of them didn't, regardless of psychiatric intervention. His second consideration was more to the point. As we passed a road crew sweating in the midday sun, he pointed them and said, It's better than digging ditches. His point seemed irrefutable. I obviously had no theology of work unless it was simply, get what you can with the least amount of effort. I knew that what we did afforded little, if any, help. I just didn't know what else could be done. More significantly, I couldn't know what else to do. Without a biblical view of man, I was unable to understand the significance and value of man, his desperate condition, and the way out. Shortly after I arrived at Labrie, I was introduced to Ted, who had come not long before me. I was struck by his ghastly appearance and the deep, open wounds on his skull. I found out that he had been through several U.S. mental hospitals, all to no avail. Life for Ted seemed hopeless. He had no family to care for him. His childhood had been marked by severe abuse. He was uneducated, unskilled, unloved, and had no reason to live. The head wounds were the sad reminders of a recent suicide attempt. The Labrie workers asked me to speak with Ted since I was a clinical psychologist. After talking to him and learning more about the misery of his squandered and wasted life, I could only affirm that his was a hopeless situation. Never before had I met someone of whom I would have said that. When the workers at Labrie asked me what I would do or suggest, I could offer nothing. It seemed as if the entire psychological community had given up on this man. But Labrie did not give up. Labrie workers offered him Christ. They did not try to change his view of himself. They did not try to help him to believe he was a great and noble figure. They only attempted to demonstrate that his life was not hopeless, because there is another who could help him by making him into a new person. Before I left, Ted was a new person. Following his conversion to Christ, I hardly recognized him. The bloodied wounds were still there, but his hair was now neatly combed, covering them. His body was clean, 
He was in his right mind. He had goals and a direction. Christ, and Christ alone, had accomplished this for him. Although I had had no hope for Ted, the Labrie workers did, because they understood the biblical view of man. The picture of humanity in the Bible is clear. We are not what we were meant to be. Every human being experiences the fight against one or more seemingly unbreakable habits, some apparently irresistible temptation, some indwelling sin. That this was not always the case is difficult to believe. There was a time very early in the history of our race when living for the glory of God was not a battle at all. The Bible teaches that God created us perfect and upright in character, in moral stance, in love for God, and in a desire to serve Him. When we take a look at what we've become, we encounter one of the greatest mysteries of the ages, sin. The fact that sin could enter a perfect world and a perfect man, Adam, is an enigma beyond comprehension in this lifetime. Sin is the complete contradiction of the character of the sovereign God, who is righteous and perfect. Yet, every time we sin, we validate sin's logical consequence, hell, and deny the grace of God, the only way out of the mess into which we've fallen. Sin is not static, left unchecked by the Holy Spirit, people deepen in their sinful appetites and lusts. They actually come to revel in sin, Romans 1.32. The Word of God says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17.9 One's thought life is affected. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Isaiah 59.7 in fact, every part of us has been touched by our fall into sin. The theologians call this total depravity. They don't mean that we are absolutely as bad as we can be. Total depravity means that there is no part of us that has not been corrupted and touched by sin. Ever since sin entered the human race through Adam, Romans 5:12, 14 through 19, we have been under God's curse. No one has been able to satisfy God's anger by anything he or she has done. Isaiah 64, 6 The sensitive soul and conscience is aware of the sentence of death. Romans 7:24. The only compensating reality that God will accept and credit to our account is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He alone could provide our justification, our being declared not guilty. The biblical view does not deny the greatness of human beings. Rather, we would say that human greatness created by God in His image is witnessed in the depth of the fall. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal grasped this concept when he said, Man's misery is the misery of a nobleman the misery of a dethroned king. Man is not judged because he is man. 
He is judged because of his sin and rebellion. Humanists emphasize the nobility of man, but they idealize the goodness of man. What value is there in a goodness that leads only to hell? We should reject such perversions of goodness that blaspheme God's holy name and are not truthful. Calvin understood the tension between the nobility and the depravity of man. He quoted St. Bernard in his Institutes. Man doubtless has been subject to vanity. Man has been reduced to nothing. Man is nothing. How is he nothing to whom a divine heart has been given? Let us breathe again, brethren. Although we are nothing in our hearts, perhaps something of us may lurk in the heart of God. O Father of mercies, Father of the miserable, how plantest thou thy heart in us? Where thy heart is, there is thy treasure also. But how are we thy treasure if we are nothing? Calvin did not view this tension as the ultimate contradiction. It was the ultimate mercy. Man in his guilt and corruption was spared, not by self-revelation, but by the revelation of God. Man, as a sinner, found hope, not in self-knowledge, but in the mercy and grace of Almighty God. We are not self-enclosed, isolated beings. Man can only change in relationship to himself as he changes in relationship to God. Some Christian psychologists have so intently focused on the nobility of man that they have lost the biblical sense of humility, seeing ourselves as God sees us. They have settled on the side of the humanist. Their view of man's nature comes from secular psychology, not from the Bible. They believe that if one can just take man far enough backward or inward, the new man in Christ will blossom. Although this view acknowledges an element of depravity in man to be dealt with, it treats man's corruption as though it exists in corrupt ideas or memories. It denies extant corruption and evil. It implies that we can't be expected to stop sinning until we have dealt with the root of our sin. It places that root not in our Adamic nature, but rather in an experience in our past that involves sin, either our own or someone else's. The push towards the healing of memories is dangerous for the church because it starts from false presuppositions and leads to gross doctrinal error. Not only does this view of man prevent God's people from dealing with their sin in the only efficacious manner available, through repentance and received forgiveness through Christ, it also implies that one can live the life that was possible before the entry of sin into the race. This erroneous doctrine is not a new phenomenon for the church. In the early church, the doctrine was given a name, Pelagianism, and condemned. John Calvin refuted such heresies by pointing to the biblical view of man. Man, he said, 
never attains a true knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. Calvin went on to state that the standard of perverted self-knowledge arises out of pride. When the standard for self-evaluation, the biblical view of man, is lacking, we are satisfied with a distorted self-picture, that of self-righteousness. Calvin argued that man will always lack an accurate picture of himself as long as he fails to examine himself in the light of biblical revelation. When a person does examine himself biblically, he finds that what formerly delighted us by its false show of righteousness will become polluted with the greatest iniquity. In other words, when a man sees his true nature, he is able to acknowledge his sin-filled nature that needs a restored relationship with God through Christ. That is the starting point for biblical counseling. Those searching for a biblical approach to counseling need to understand that it is not possible to understand or deal with man's nature apart from his relationship to God. There can be no Christian plan for change apart from submission to the Scripture, which sees man in an unbreakable relationship to God, either as covenant keeper or covenant breaker. Basing his statement on the atoning death of Christ, Paul declares, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-19, NIV, Emphasis Mine. The only basis by which pastors and psychologists should be talking about restoration or healing is in connection with the sacrifice of Christ. Ted the troubled young man at Labrie was not changed by trying to heal his memories. Years of traditional psychological treatment had done nothing for him. Ted was a hopeless man until he came face to face with Christ. Then he became a new creation. Christ does not provide people with a placebo, but with real hope. The Bible makes this point eloquently. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Romans 5, 5 How ridiculous to look to ourselves hopefully. Our hope is in God alone who bestows hope on us in spite of who we are through the giving of the Spirit.
He can take our lives, even when they are at rock bottom, and from them make something glorifying to himself. Leaders of the psychiatric establishment refuse to recognize that Christ changes lives. They reject the presuppositions of biblical Christianity, but at the same time they pretend that if something works, they will accept it. I have seen Christ change people's lives, yet I have seen this reality rejected time and again by the psychological community. Emmanuel's transformation into a functioning human being in my office at the hospital should have been a reason for joy. Instead, it produced defensive bitterness. Instead of being praised for having somehow gotten him to speak, I was castigated for crystallizing his delusions. His delusion had been that he was the Christ. That belief was smashed. He learned that his hope was in serving the one true and living God. Yet in the mind of my director I had crystallized his delusion because the true religious answer replaced the former religious deception. That one was true and one false made no difference. That one helped while everything they had tried failed only infuriated him. Biblical counseling is broader than the alleviation of problems and the change of personality. The biblical reality of total depravity means that every area of a new believer's life needs to be touched by the transforming power of Christ. All our thoughts, attitudes, and presuppositions need to be filtered through our new eyes and ears and hearts. We need to be continually asking the question, how does God view this situation according to his word? Paul tells believers, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, NIV. Included in this transformation is a changed vision of who we are in God's sight. Man has great reason for hope. Our hope lies in a reality that secular psychologists hate. We know that we are weak and need Christ's help to change. He alone is able to convict, forgive, renew, strengthen, comfort, protect, keep, instruct, guide, shelter, heal, and encourage us with divine faithfulness and wisdom. To offer anything less is to deny the people of God their greatest aid in times of weakness. The Bible teaches that no part of man is unreachable by God's word. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. The biblical counselor has confidence in the tool that God has given him 
for the reconstruction of individuals. He can enter into a counseling situation knowing that there is nothing hidden which cannot be revealed by the proper use of God's word. Through it, God reveals how intimately acquainted he is with all our weaknesses and foibles. He even comments on our proclivity to self-deception and then declares the preventive action necessary to avoid it. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. James chapter 1 verses 23 through 25, NIV. By looking to the secular realm of psychology, God's people are forgetting what they look like. It is for this reason that Christendom must see the absolute necessity of both seeking and providing for its members biblical principles of counsel at all times. As obvious as this concept should be to believers, the principles are not being sought or taught, and the church is faltering as a result.